0: Join us as we give you a behind the scenes look at what went into buying our home. A few mistakes put us knee deep in budget hell. So listen as we talk through these mistakes so you don't make them too. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours of sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and thank you so much for being here. I know there's a lot of podcasts and different communities out there, and I'm just so thankful for each one of you for being here. Today's show is going to be a bit different. I bring on my better half, Dr. Taylor Inman, as we dive into what we experienced as we made the move from Las Vegas to San Diego trying really hard to stick within a budget for our new home, Tay and I reflected on some of the good and the bad of the home buying process. And despite purchasing over a dozen homes in my investing career, I still make mistakes, and I want you to hear about those today. Hopefully, you're going to learn from a few of our mistakes and understand a bit more on the home buying process. Tay, thanks so much for being back on.
1: Thanks for having me on your show again.
0: I feel like you're the biggest forced fan I have, so.
1: No choice over here.
0: None at all, really. So today we're going to talk about the concept of how we bought our house, the kind of ins and outs of it. And we're not going to get too much into like a step-by-step guide because we already did that with uh, Mendy Jensen in one of our earliest episodes on the show. But Taylor and I are going to talk about how we found our home, what we looked for, what to watch out for, but kind of behind the scenes look, if you will, on this process. And over the past year, we've had a couple of real estate podcasts or podcasts related to real estate. And a lot of the questions have been coming up around buying your first home and some of the anxieties uh, or questions that have been uh, causing you guys to uh, either have some pause or to reach out. And so we thought it'd be best to for us to jump on a show here and just talk about the process of going through the home buying experience so Tay, let's just go into kind of the difference between a house in vegas where we lived for a few years versus a house in san diego
1: well our expectations had to change quite a bit moving to san diego from las vegas and we knew that we've lived here before we know it's a lot more expensive but it was significantly uh, more expensive for a significantly older and smaller house in san diego and then in San Diego, I also feel like location is really important. And even the location in San Diego changed the price quite a bit. So the location, the price difference, and just the quality of house difference was huge.
0: So I'll put some numbers kind of to this. A house in Vegas that was built in 2016, that's uh, 3,500 square feet. And on a pretty good sized lot of like 11 or 12,000 square feet uh, was... Uh, about 25% cheaper than a home that was built in the 60s. That's half the square footage, like 1,700 on a slightly smaller lot in San Diego. So the the differences there are, are quite staggering. And then when she referred to the location within San Diego, and we're not talking like the ritzy part of La Jolla or anything, but maybe just a mile away The differences between one city versus the next can be 20, 30 percent difference. But when we look at and this kind of flows into our next one, when we looked at the homes, uh, we were looking at all sorts of different things. And so, Tay, I think it'd be interesting to kind of hear your perspective on why you kind of chose this area and, and some of the things you were looking for in the house.
1: Fortunately, we've lived in San Diego before, so we know a lot of the areas, and once I started looking for a job here, started talking to a potential employer here, we immediately started looking online at homes and looking at different areas, and we kind of knew the areas that we wanted to live in. I know that not having a commute and sitting in traffic is huge for work-life balance. And Ryan uh, has been in a very long commute in San Diego. Last time we lived here, it was taking him an hour to go six miles. So I knew that I did not want to be somewhere where I was gonna be in a commute like that. And so we started looking really early in the process. And some of the things that were important other than the location are the schools where our kids were gonna go to school. We got them enrolled in a private school. I mean, they're two and three or two and four now, so they're in a private school now. But once they're old enough to go to kindergarten, it would be nice to send them to a good public school because it would be a lot cheaper. But a lot of times, houses are more expensive in those areas. Uh, we knew that we wanted a yard because we have two dogs, so we wanted to have a grassy area for them to play, an area for the kids to play outside. And also we want to be in a safe area that has a good neighborhood feel to it because it's uh, somewhere that we want to settle down and that we want to be long-term.
0: Yeah. So when we're talking about the cost of school and public versus private, because our kids are younger, we have daycare costs. And essentially the school uh, that we're putting the kids in um, is the same cost as what a daycare would be. Initially, And then our son's only going to go there for about a year and then he'll end up switching over to the public school or it'll be free. But we, we were looking at it and it was, hey, we could choose the cheaper area to live in and it would be significantly cheaper. But if you factor in daycare costs, it would be about the same cost as living in the nicer area without the, that daycare cost or school cost. So while we have a little bit of overlap, why our kids are still really young, we're thinking more long-term that in a few years, this won't be there and that we'd rather have the nicer uh, area. The houses actually are pretty the same, but the nicer area, the better schools, closer proximity to kind of everything in a much safer area. And um, it's actually a really relaxed kind of low-key street that was more important to us in the long-term. We definitely wanted to to look at that. So Tay, we found out that you got a job, we put in an offer. And there was a lot of stuff that kind of came up between doing the offer, we had to obviously get pre approved. So let's talk a little bit about the financing side. And I, I'm curious to see your thought on this, not knowing exactly what was kind of coming. What did you think on on that process? and?
1: So for this part, I did feel like there were a lot of surprises. I've listened to all your podcasts. We've bought and sold a couple of houses before. So I felt like I've done this, but this time I felt like there were a lot more surprises. Um, getting approved for a loan, if you thought it was hard to get credentials at a hospital, getting approved for a loan is, I felt like, so much more work because they just request the most random things from you. It's like, we have to have this random document from this time. And you're like, well, I don't have that organized somewhere. Let me try and find it. I hope I saved it. So there were a lot of random things, pay stubs, tax returns. That's normal. I think we had to write a letter because I was doing locums work. And so they had we had to write some sort of letter saying that I was a 1099 employee. And then they had requested some things from my locums hospital that I worked at, I think, as well. So just a lot of random things. And then going to work, I had an offer letter, but they wanted specific things. And it's like, I can't, I don't have that. And I'm not going to have that. So it was a little bit challenging to go through the financing process from a non-financial person.
0: Yeah. And we had Doug Krause on when we were talking about everything you need to know about like a physician mortgage. And um, this isn't necessarily about a physician mortgage or just the process in general, and actually, we we have another show coming up this season talking about all the financing pieces. So we won't get crazy into detail there. But I was curious to to know kind of what you your thought process was and how you experienced it. Um, it isn't the easiest of processes. Uh, you need to get pre-approved really before you start looking. And when they do that, they're essentially doing like a a mini underwriting of your financial life to make sure that what you're telling them is accurate that you have backup to support it. So like tax returns and pay stubs and copies of investment accounts and and, and other things like that, showing that you would have proof of funds. Uh, If you're trying to buy a million dollar house, but you have no money in the bank, that would be an issue. So they want to try to eliminate all those potential red flags up front. But the thing to be really aware of is that the bank is going to tell you how much loan you can take out based on your finances that does not mean go take out the full amount on that. They're not looking at your like full financial picture. It's nothing holistic. It is literally, they're selling you a product and that product is a home loan. And they're telling you how much that they are willing to lend to you, not how much you should actually take out. So just always want to add that in, but we're gonna get a lot more into to financing in a different show. So, okay, Tay, we now went well, through can the- can we
1: step back? Ryan had made an initial budget for us looking at houses in San Diego. He wanted to stay under this certain number. So I tried, I I really tried to find houses in Ryan's budget that he felt comfortable with. But we were living like way far East County, far commute, like out in the boonies to stay within this budget. So I did force him to raise our budget. And then I stayed under our new budget by $5,000. That's
0: not how a new budget works versus a previous budget budget though
1: a more realistic budget for our long-term goals and really our long-term goals we want to stay in this house for a long time we want it to be our home that our kids are going to grow up in in a good area something that we can be in long term so for us our home is our why and um, it's where we spend a lot of time so we were willing to spend a little bit more money so that we're comfortable in the place where we live every day
0: Happy wife, happy life is how it went over at the very end. I tried really hard to stick to my guns, but uh, I got outgunned, if you will. So, uh, okay, let's now fast forward a little bit here. We wrote an offer. We went through some of the pre-approval stuff, wrote the offer. It got accepted. So now really all the work begins here. Yes, it's hard to find a house that you like. It might be competitive in your area where you're trying to put in multiple offers to multiple houses, Let's say, so right now we got our offer accepted.
1: Yes. So with the last two houses that we bought and lived in, they were new builds that Ryan found that were great deals. This was a house that was built in the 60s and needed a good home inspection. And they actually uncovered a lot of stuff that we had no idea about. Um, There was aluminum wiring in our house. There were uh, some sewer problems. There were some, what else? Electrical, water heater, asbestos somewhere in the house.
0: Yeah, the list was pretty lengthy and we knew that there'd be a lot of issues with the house, but we didn't realize, because you can't tell this like on your first pass through of a house, what is really wrong with it and what really needs to be fixed. That and I'm not that handy anyway. So, you know, looking at something might not think it's a big deal and then find out it is a much bigger deal. So what we did was is we went and got a home inspection And once we got that, we read through the report and we looked at some of the big issues that were there. And some of them, like Taylor had mentioned, were like the sewer line. So what the home inspection would say is this is an overview. This is not a full detailed report. We suggest hiring a plumber to come out and do a full inspection of the sewer line. And most of the time, potential buyers would just kind of go, ah, it's a sewer line. It's fine. We're not going to pay the you know, $250 to have it get inspected, but we did that and they even couldn't access part of the sewer line. And I kept forcing them to come out and and try to get access. And it turned out there was like over $10,000 worth of work in the sewer line that would have had to be, it would be exposed. We'd have much bigger problems later on. And so that was part of the thing that we added into have the, the seller essentially cover for us. Because I, I don't feel like we should cover a sewer line cost of of any expense, especially that much or higher, because those can end up running twenty thirty thousand dollars $30,000, depending on how bad the damage is. Um, where we had some other things that weren't such a big deal, and maybe you can talk about a few of those.
1: Yeah, so some of our electrical things, I mentioned the aluminum wiring that was very old, and it's a hazard to have aluminum wiring. Luckily, my brother's an electrician, so he read through everything and translated it to us so that we could know what we needed to fix for the house to be safe and not to have uh, fire hazards. And with two small kids, I mean, a lot of our outlets we discovered were very old, like from the sixties. So you plug something in and it would just fall out. So there were a lot of little things that the house still worked, but it just to make us feel better in a house we were going to live in long-term, we needed to fix and have done correctly And then our air conditioner and furnace were old and expensive to run.
0: Like from 1970
1: to old. And our first electric bill, which I think was only for three weeks of the month, was like $500. And we didn't even run the air conditioning that much, but it was hot. And for naps and nighttime, we'd turn on the air conditioner because kids' rooms would get really hot. And we discovered in getting all the ductwork replaced that there were holes all over the ductwork. And so not any air was getting back to our bedrooms and our attic was getting a lot of this expensive air that we were blowing from the air conditioner.
0: Yeah, so that was super fun to basically be cooling the attic space and not the actual bedrooms for the kids. But what we did here, and, and not to go into crazy more detail on this, but to, we wanted to give you a picture of of things that can go wrong that even though I've bought and sold or been a part of at least a dozen homes, you, know, you just don't know until you kind of get in and see what's there. And so we had an AC and HVAC company come out and look at the current AC and the current furnace to see if it's salvageable, how inefficient it is, uh, which we found out was very, the water heater needed to be replaced. And so we kind of picked and choose our battles with the sellers. And this was all kind of negotiated to be reducing the purchase price. We could have told them, hey, you need to get this fixed, or we could ask for cash. And some of these things, you definitely want to ask for cash. And some of these things, you want to, you want to ask them to fix. So an example would be the sewer line. We wanted them to fix it because as they get down there, and they're you know putting a new sleeve and a new pipe down there, if more things happen, we don't want to be on the hook for it. So that's something I don't want to take care of after close. I want the seller to remedy everything to make the sewer line fully functional and perfect before we take ownership. Things like the electrical, where I know it's not as big of a deal that we have aluminum wiring and some conduits and and, and junction boxes are exposed and things like that. No big deal. We can get those fixed. But I knew that when we moved in, we were going to have to add in some fans, some ceiling lights. Apparently we bought the house from vampires because there was like four lights in the whole place, uh, which is kind of crazy. But I knew we were going to add to that. And the more you add to those type of bills, hopefully you can negotiate a discount. So instead of it being, I don't know, I'm throwing out number 3000 bucks and we wanted to add in a thousand dollars worth of work. Maybe we can add in the thousand dollars worth of work and only pay an extra $500 since it was a little bit more uh, work. And maybe we can negotiate a little bit on there. So those are things that we hired an electrician to come out and do a home inspection for us, like an extra one, because in our home inspection original report, it showed aluminum wiring that we need to have it come out and inspected by a licensed electrician. So like my wife said, luckily, her brother is an electrician, could kind of help us out and ease us there. But we had an extra opinion come in and we did it in the form of, hey, here's the home inspection. Come give us a quote for everything. We didn't have to pay above and beyond too much to get them to come out and do this because we we kind of framed it as a bid. The water heater, that's something that we know is going to cost a couple thousand bucks. I made sure that we pushed that into at close because I didn't want them to go cheap out and get some rinky-dink water heater. We wanted something that's going to to last. So those are things that we asked for for money so we could go do this at close. So I think we've kind of highlighted this pretty well here, Tay. So now let's talk kind of the after move-in stuff, the things that you don't really think about when you're you're buying a home. Yes, home costs money, but let's talk kind of after move-in. What happened there?
1: Well, I think we knew we were planning on painting the whole house. Everything was this like drab yellow tan color, like the walls, the trim, the doors, everything, even the door hinges the vents for the air conditioner heater, everything was the same drab color. There were great wood floors on the house, but this ugly color everywhere. So we knew we were going to need to paint everything that we moved after we moved in. And we knew we wanted to get carpeting in the bedrooms or new flooring in the bedrooms. And we really didn't think we were going to have to do that much to get the house the way that we wanted it, but everything added up pretty quickly. So as far as Painting, electrical, plumbing, things. These are all different contractors that have to come out to your house, different vendors. And I learned very quickly the vendors do not like to work at the same time if they're going to be in the same area. To get vendors out to your house, you have to get quotes. It takes a few days to schedule someone to come out to give you a quote, and then you have to decide who to use and then schedule a time for them to come out. So it's a very long and drawn-out process. We moved in and unpacked, and then I felt like we repacked for the electricians to do all their work then unpacked and then repacked while we had the slowest painters in the world paint our house. Looks great. Just took forever.
0: It definitely wasn't the three days that they quoted, which I thought, you know, oh, they'll bring out a team of four or five painters. And there was like some days there was one guy here.
1: And they were painting everywhere in our house. And when you have a two and three-year-old who are both great nappers in their beds, but not outside their rooms, it was very painful. So that took forever. And then carpet, I waited till the painters were done to start trying to find out flooring for the rooms. And that was a mistake because it took forever to get quotes and get carpet ordered and then get it installed in the rooms. But I think we're done now. Just when I thought we were done, the air conditioning heating people came out to replace our furnace and air conditioner. But I can safely say, I think we're done with improvements for the moment.
0: For a while, right?
1: Well, I still want to change out just our island oh, countertop. Boy. I just want to change it and make it so there's a, a little area, barstool area for the kids to sit.
0: You can't see me right now, but I'm waving a white flag.
1: <laughs> it won't be that much, I don't think.
0: Yeah, it better not be. Um, so if you kind of take it, there's, there's things that come up after you move in that you don't necessarily expect. Yes, some of it we did, and we can kind of go into it knowing, hey, you know, the seller paid for, gave us cash back at closing to put in a new water heater. No problem. We get it. We put it in or AC and furnace. We got some cash back seller credit there, but we decided to not cheap out on an AC furnace. We want to get a, a more efficient one because this is something that's going to last a long time. Uh, so we spent a little bit extra money there um, and may, not necessarily planned on spending as much, but definitely I think uh, going to be a good purchase in the long run. So there's things that, um, you know, when you move in, we, one of the things I didn't really look at was how few lights there were in the house.
1: Yeah. And I felt like there were a lot of things that I didn't realize when we looked at the house. When we first looked at the house, we were looking at a bunch of houses in one day. There were people living in our house. So I opened a couple cabinets in the kitchen, but then I felt weird because all their stuff was in it. So I didn't look in the closets at all. So moving out here, I didn't know how much room we were going to have, what I needed to get rid of and keep. And we got rid of a lot of things and I didn't look at the lights. I had no idea there were so few lights in the home. And then also we didn't look at the fence. The fence outside is so hard to open the gates. It's falling apart and needs to be replaced like yesterday. So we had no idea that needed to happen, which is part of buying a home and living in a home. But I feel like there are a lot of surprises that we didn't know to look for. I just knew that I liked the floor plan of the house. I liked the location. I liked the size. Everything about that was perfect, but all the little things do add up pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, it was a little deceiving. I tend to know kind of what to look out for, the big things, but the electrical is the one that kind of stuck out to me is my biggest mistake. Uh, Walking through the house, I wasn't looking at like, oh, is there can lighting, Like, you know, lighting in the ceiling? Is there lighting in the ceiling? How are they lighting their house? We came during the day. Our house is pretty lit during the day. It's quite nice. Gets a lot of sun and light exposure inside. What I didn't realize is that at night, there's one light out back. There's one light in the kitchen, one light in the dining room. And two in like the uh, little hallway that we have. That's about it. So there's all these rooms that had no lighting, uh, and you know, no lighting out front, no no real lighting out back. Is one little spotlight. It was nothing, and so we basically were living in the dark. Uh, when we happened to move, we didn't uh, anticipate the sellers shutting off the the electrical and the gas a few days early. Uh, usually at close, uh, the sellers will keep it on for one to three days after, which will give you time to basically transition uh, the bills over to you. So here at San Diego Gas and Electric, I did it the day of closing uh, that we would have things turned on, but because they turned off the gas a few days before, someone physically came off and turned out the gas. We lived here for what, four days without hot water?
1: Yes. And luckily we lived here before and one of my best friends is five minutes away. So we could drive over there for hot showers and hot baths, but that was definitely a big surprise for us.
0: Yeah. You don't think in a typical transaction that that doesn't take place, but that was something that, um, you know, I didn't double check. I'm trying to give you guys some of the errors that we had so you can, you know, make sure that when you're doing this, hey, check a few of these little boxes off. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't anticipate the seller cutting it off early. I've never had that happen in any of the transactions I've been a part of. Um, it's always been a real smooth transition and. So we moved from Vegas to San Diego, we're here in boxes, have two little kids and no hot water for four days and five lights in the whole house.
1: We made it work though. The kids were happy. They could play outside all day long. It wasn't too hot. They had the zoo, the aquarium, all the beach, the fun stuff to do. So they didn't notice a big difference.
0: Yeah. Taylor had mentioned the world's slowest painters. We had some really good electricians. I think they did a great job. They were really messy, but that's kind of how it works. Um, We almost were living in kind of a flip house, if you will. We were renovating if you will not adding any additions but we really fixed a lot of things but you know when we're interviewing vendors or when you're going to interview a vendor to come out an electrician or an AC or painters or whoever it is make sure that there's a deadline make sure that they know that if you're going to have more than one vendor come out that they're going to have to kind of play nice it almost was like we were babysitting uh, multiple vendors because the painters would get frustrated that the electrician came in and made a hole. the paint you know electricians were frustrated that the painters were in the space that they needed i primarily think this is the painters problem though because it took them five days to finish a room because they kept bouncing back and forth between stuff
1: yeah i think we'll let the painters take the fall for this they were uh very slow very cranky they made our house look good but it was they were very very difficult to work with and i don't think that was apparent before we hired them. So yeah, doing your research on your vendors. And they the, our painters came recommended to us by our real estate agent. We're still doing your research about your vendors. And it, preferably if you have someone who has used a vendor before, that's the best way to find people because reviews online can be deceiving. And anything that you can do before you physically move into the house is preferable, we learned. It was hard being out of state to try and coordinate things. But as much as you can do before you move in is so much easier especially if you have kids
0: yeah and we talked about that but the problem was is the kids are going to start school a couple weeks from when we closed on the house and so we needed to get in do work move everything obviously i had to move all the business stuff as well so we we decided hey we're going to just kind of move in and tough it out but i'm thinking you maybe regretted that decision that you made?
1: No, I fully support my decision. It just for other people, if you have the option, try not to live there. And I wanted to live in the house and see what we needed because we did make a lot of changes with the electricians while they were here about what we needed. And as far as paint colors, I wanted to see what it would look like in our house before I decided things because I feel like I'm really good at picking colors, but I just needed to see the house and live in it and see what it would be like. And then another surprise for us with the electricians is I went to plug something in in our daughter's room and there were nice face plates over all the outlets. And when I unscrewed that, I found that the electrical switch things were like yellow and disgusting and from the 60s. So our sellers had t- taken really nice face plates and put them over to make the outlets look new when they were definitely not new. So I don't think we would have realized that we needed all of those replaced or wanted them all replaced to tamper proof electrical outlets uh, without living here. And I was trying to install a little child protection thing in our daughter's room. So I don't think I would have realized that if had we not been living here.
0: Yeah. And I mean, those things aren't that much. I mean, it's like 12 bucks or eight bucks for a new plug kind of system or outlet, uh, if you will. Uh, So those things, they do come up and you kind of have to roll with the punches. But Tay, anything you want to kind of leave with on advice for people. Uh, I know we've kind of given a lot of advice. I I tried to talk about the things that we screwed up or should have paid more attention to. You know, there's other stuff that we've learned over the, over the time of buying so many houses and doing so many things like with the home inspections, like that is so critical really to protect you because you never know, especially the older the house, you never know what's there. This is kind of a whole different ball game. If you're buying a real old home built in the, you know, 10, 20, 30s, but Home inspections are still needed for new homes. I got them on our our newer homes and truss beams in the attic and things like that that were broken or or amiss, like we had to get structural engineers to sign off and things like that. So I think home inspections are pretty crucial. But do you have any parting advice for anyone?
1: We talked about all the things that came up with our house and all the things we had to do. I feel great about it. I love it. I'm so happy. I love everything that we've done. I think this is going to be a great long-term home for us, Uh, even though we had a lot of things Come up, I still feel like this house is built so much better than our brand new house that we lived in in Las Vegas. For example, in Las Vegas, if you drop something or something hit any of the trim, the trim would like crumble away. It was like foam trim or something crazy. So even though we had this nice, big, beautiful house, I still feel like our old house in the 60s is built so much better than our huge, beautiful new home. So don't be deceived by new homes or things that look pretty because it's really easy to cover up stuff um, there are things that are broken. So just be cautious. And I think the most important thing when you're buying a home is to find the area that you want to live in and a home that you like, because I like the floor plan of this house. There are things that we still could change if we wanted to, we don't have to, but I know that it will work for us long term. And I know our house is a lot smaller, but I'm happier in a smaller area. It's a lot less to clean. It's a lot less daunting. And our kids are little. I like them being close to us and having their rooms close. Granted, when they're teenagers, I'll probably want them a little farther away, but they don't get a choice. They are going to be close to us right now. They're two and four, but they really want to share a room and they want bunk beds. So we have room for all of them, but we are debating, letting them share. We may regret that, but I'm really happy with everything. It turned out great. Just learn from our mistakes and I hope you guys know a little bit more of what to expect. So you don't have as many surprises when you're buying and closing and moving into a new home.
0: Yeah, I was wondering if you were going to go the route of bigger house, smaller house. But, you know, everyone in the uh, financial residency Facebook group, uh, you can join it going to financialresidency.com slash community. Um, I would really like it if you guys could put in there, if you have little kids uh, and they share rooms or don't share rooms, the pros and cons are should we not share a room or let them share a room? I feel like I'm almost tying like we just painted a room pink and then his room's blue. So now if they share a room... One of them's going to be in a pink room or one's going to like, I they mean, it's not care. a big deal. They don't care. They just want to be together and they really want bunk beds. So I think mom has been talking about bunk beds a lot.
1: They've been talking about bunk beds a lot because our, our neighbor in Las Vegas had bunk beds. So they want bunk beds like her.
0: Um, uh, okay. Madison have bunk beds. Got it. Um, yeah. But I think it's interesting. I was wondering if you're going to go the route of when we moved from San Diego, when we were in fellowship, to Vegas our house that we were renting was like 1200 square feet roughly it was pretty small and I didn't think we needed as big of a house in Vegas Taylor liked the layout much better of the house that we chose in Vegas but it ended up being quite large it was like 3500 square feet and so that was kind of weird tripling our our home space but it also like quadrupled the work of the house
1: Yeah, I didn't even try to keep it vacuumed because with two dogs, there was just fur everywhere. So I had vacuumed one room and then the next room was covered in fur, and it just, I just gave up very quickly on that. And our house was so big that our son would ride his bike inside. He preferred to ride his bike inside because we had these big, long hallways. And that was just normal for him. And looking back, it's kind of crazy. But everything's so cheap there. And I didn't realize how big that house would be. We looked at the layouts of different houses. It was a new build, so we could pick the layout we wanted. And I just wanted the kids' rooms on the same side of the house as our room. So that's how we ended up in a massively huge house. But I think we're definitely more comfortable in a smaller house. And it's a lot easier and more manageable for us.
0: I mean, 1,700 isn't that small of a house. It's a good size. I think it's good for us. You know, if we had extended family staying with us, if your parents or my parents lived with us, it'd be totally different in that setting. But this is good for us where it's two kids, two of us, two dogs, and like two of everything, apparently. But I think this is a good size for us. And I kind of thought Vegas was a little big, but um, I, I think I'm happy coming to a much smaller house here.
1: I agree. I think everyone's happy here.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being on.
1: Thanks for having me on the show again.
0: And if you guys want to have Taylor talk about anything else or kind of get more of a behind the scenes look from a physician's opinion that doesn't necessarily like finance, but is forced to hear it all day, every day from me. If you have any questions for her, post them in the group. If you're not in the group, why not join it? So thanks again, Tay, for being on. Thank you. Today we're going to be discussing an article that was posted on the site DrCoreySFawcett.com titled 8 Perks of Eliminating My Mortgage. I thought this was a really timely and relevant post to our home buying experience, so I wanted to highlight it here. Some of you also may recognize the name, as I had Dr. Fawcett on the show back in March where we talked about how he eliminated half a million dollars in debt. So go back, check out that show, it was a really good one. So in his article, Dr. Fawcett discusses the eight ways his life has changed by paying off his mortgage. I'm going to quote each one and probably a sentence or two about each. So the first was that his stress level had decreased. He didn't understand the full effect the debt was having on his stress or his level of stress until the debt burden was lifted. No more debt equal no more drive to pay off the debt. Second, he was able to improve his medical practice. Once he became debt-free, the drive to keep his production high at the office decreased. Since he no longer worried about making the house payment if production dropped, he was now willing to make some changes to actually make his practice more enjoyable. Third and fourth one kind of go together. They paid cash for a new motorhome and he bought a new sports car. And my guess is that he probably didn't do these at the same time or he'd probably be back in debt. So he'd wanted a new motorhome and a new sports car for quite some time, but becoming debt-free was their priority, so it had to wait. I take it as they were able to focus their hard-earned cash into something that truly made them happy, versus buying everything on credit and filling the squeeze of having to work just to pay the bills. So while it might not be a motorhome or a car for you, it's probably something else. That's where it fit in for him. Fifth, they invested in real estate. Once you become debt-free, all the money that was going to pay down the debt is now available for use elsewhere. So what they decided to do was to invest in real estate. And over the next six years, they purchased five apartment complexes. And 12 years after the first purchase, the cash flow from the apartments exceeded their household expenses. They'd become financially independent much earlier than they would have thought or much earlier than they would have if they just made the minimum payments on their debt. Six, they used the cash flow to actually pay for their kid's college. And this is somewhat unique, as the cost for college for both kids didn't exceed the cost of the mortgage, which was only a few thousand bucks. Without debt taking monthly income, they had plenty of cash left over to pay for college without touching into their savings. I think this might be hard to do now with the cost of college tuition so high, but I actually like the principle of this. I still encourage clients to save in a 529, just like my wife and I do for our kiddos. But you know what? Go back and listen to the episode with Abby Chow from College Backer if you want to learn more about 529s. and I won't talk about it here. Seventh, they needed less money for retirement. He found that if he had a mortgage in retirement, they'd need to have almost a million dollars more saved up in their nest egg to cover for the mortgage. That should clearly tell us that debt in retirement is a horrible idea and his example is one reason why. Last but not least, his eighth reason was that his giving actually increased. Without the debt, they were more inclined to give to others, and I love that idea. What I also love about this article is that it shows how powerful yet devastating debt could be towards one in one's retirement. He outlined the eight perks that were very realistic to how it'd feel to be debt-free. And honestly, we haven't hit that personally. We haven't hit that debt-free mark um, as we still have a mortgage. But I can imagine how great it must feel. And this article gives me a sense of how that will actually feel when we hit it. In my experience, I hear a lot on how a home is good debt or a good investment. And yes, there's ways to make money from real estate, even a primary residence. We've, We've actually done that twice now. But all that income comes from a gain on sale. A home is not a good investment because it doesn't produce cash flow and actually ends up costing quite a bit of money to keep in a good condition. I'm a huge fan of real estate, don't get me wrong, but the idea that you must keep debt on your primary residence isn't for everyone, especially as you near retirement. So if you're trying to retire early, that debt needs to be extinguished before you finish and leave your career. Dr. Fawcett, Thank you so much for another great article and showing us how it'll feel when we all become debt-free. I'll make sure to get this link in the show notes at financialresidency.com. So huge shout out to my wife for being on the show again. She's such a great sport and she's definitely a forced fan, but she's also the love of my life. Happy wife, happy life, right? Well, that was really true when it came to buying our new home. Uh, you know, the place that we'd settle in and the place that our kids would grow up. This journey, as you've heard, wasn't as easy as one, two, three. Although a checklist probably would have helped. There were a lot of things to consider in between, like the paperwork, the location, the commute, kids' schools, inspections, and yeah, the budget. And what about after moving in? Well, Tay and I talked about moving into an older home from the repaints to the new carpet and all the other improvements yeah my white flag is literally waved. spending a little extra money was well spent but everything adds up pretty quickly you've heard some of our oversights successes surprises mistakes and please pretty please learn from our experience my fingers are crossed that you will so a quick community update, the Financial Residency Podcast was actually nominated for a Plutus Award for Best New Personal Finance Podcast. I'm so appreciative for those in the financial media that nominated the show, and even more appreciative for all of you that listen. Please take a minute and join us in the Facebook community by going to financialresidency.com community. Over 900 members and growing strong. So come hang out with this money nerd and other physicians and their spouses who are taking control over their finances. Next week, I come to you live on the floor of FinCon, which is a massive conference for those in the financial media. And like I said, the show was nominated for the best new personal finance podcast. So wish us luck as we find out the winner during the conference. Until next time. Cheers.